Good morning. Man, it's great to see everyone here this morning. I want to welcome everyone here today. Also, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online. And I just want to apologize to you because I had to lead that song. And if you've never watched services online and all you hear is a song leader leading the song, it can be very, very brutal. It doesn't matter how good the singer is, it is just absolutely brutal. And so that's why we inject our praise and harmony when we go live so that they have something full to sing with instead of a song leader like me. And so I apologize for what you guys may have heard this morning who are watching online. As you guys can see, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, or maybe you're just coming in on this series right now, we're in a series entitled Forgotten, Disregarded, and Misunderstood, and we're not talking about any certain individual. What we're doing in this series is we're actually talking about the Word of God. And so if you've missed any of the prior lessons, you can go back and you can watch those online. And we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to catch up. But today I want to begin our next lesson really by sharing with you two numbers. First of all, we speak about six, 16,000 words per day. Now some of you absolutely blow that out of the water. And you know who you are. You talk a lot more than that. Some of you may fall under that a little bit. But on average, most people speak about 16,000 words per day. And so if we were to live to be somewhere around 90 years old, that would mean that we speak over 500 million words over the course of our lifetime. Think about that. That is a lot of words. That's a lot of opportunities to slip up and say something that's wrong. Right? And here's the deal. There is power. Sharon, it's so good to see you this morning. There is power in our words. And one of the things that reminds me of that, and y'all stay with me on this, is tattoos. If I were to ask how many of you have tattoos, we would have several that would raise their hands. And, and I have nothing against tattoos. I have family members that have tattoos. Some of them are very beautiful and very meaningful. But here's what I know. There have been people who have gone into tattoo parlors and they have made some very impulsive decisions. Okay, and, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, I'll show you a few examples this morning. Uh, this individual had tattooed on their arm. It's supposed to say, no regret, but it says, no regret. <laughs> How many of you have regrets? Um, Sharon who checks my PowerPoint each week for grammatical errors and, you know, spelling mistakes. She saw this slide and she 
uh, wrote to me saying, hey, I think there's a mistake on, on this slide. That's not how you spell regret. And, and she's absolutely right. But that's now tattooed on that person's arm. Here's another one. I'm awesome. But you may notice they forgot an E. They misspelled awesome as well. But I think this one is my absolute favorite. I think Megan was supposed to be the one, right? But I think they made a mistake. It ended up being Holly, right? And, and so the whole point is this. Sometimes people go in to a tattoo parlor and they make some impulsive decisions, thoughtless decisions, careless decisions, and then they're stuck with it, right? I mean, even if they go through the pain of trying to have the tattoo removed, it really never goes away. It's, it's usually just faded. In other words, it's still there. And I want to kind of use that as a metaphor to help us kind of understand the power of our words. Just because our words may not be tattooed on someone's skin doesn't mean that those words aren't still there. It doesn't mean that those words aren't still embedded in their soul, in their hearts. I know when I was growing up, we used to have a phrase, and I'm sure most of you have heard it. I don't know if the younger generation has heard this before, but it went something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never, what? Hurt me or harm me. And then later on, you began to realize that really that's all a lie, right? That phrase isn't true at all because words can hurt. Words can wound. And unfortunately, words can linger. In fact, if I were to ask you this morning, what is the most hurtful thing that someone has ever said to you? I bet some of you could pull that up in your mind right now. In fact, some of you are probably thinking about it right now, and, and it came to mind like immediately, right? Because it's, it's still there. Right? It, it's still in your mind. It's, it's still in your heart. Maybe it was someone telling you that they don't love you anymore. Or they hate you. Or that they love someone more than you. Maybe it was someone who said something about your looks or your intelligence or your work. Or, or maybe they said something about your family and man, it just absolutely crushed you. Here's another verse that I think we're oftentimes tempted to forget and oftentimes disregard. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. The tongue can bring what church? Can bring death or life. Even just a few words. And we know this because, as we've already seen, we can recall those words. Even if it's just three or, or four Something spoken by a parent, something spoken by a sibling, something spoken by a friend or a spouse or, or a boss or a co-worker. It has the power to either bring life to your soul or death 
to your soul. And those words can be tattooed on our hearts. As we see in James chapter 3, and we're not going to read James chapter 3, we really don't have time, but as we get down into, to verse 10, we see that words have the astonishing power to either bless or to curse to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to destroy. In fact, I think most of you would agree with this statement. Each of us are the products of the words that have been spoken over our lives. i got to tell you, I, I am extremely blessed. I, I was blessed with amazing parents who constantly told me that they loved me and they were so proud of me and, and that they believed in me. I, I had amazing grandparents. I, I remember my grandmother, Lundy, used to always tell me that I was an angel. I, I've been blessed with an amazing wife who really has been my best cheerleader throughout the years. We'll come home on Sundays and she always tells me, man, that was a great sermon or, or that was a great lesson. She's written me cards throughout the years telling me that I'm a great husband and that I'm a great father and that she is blessed to be married to me. And the really cool thing about that is she doesn't just say that to me. I've overheard her saying that to other people. And man, that just... That means so much to me. And, and I've had teachers, like a lady by the name of Miss Ellis in the fifth grade, who used to tell me all the time how smart and how talented I was, even though I failed the previous grade and almost failed it again, because I really wasn't the, sh the sharpest tool in the shed, if you know what I mean. She poured that into me, and, and so many of you have been a part of that as well. You, you have spoken life into me, and you continue to speak life into me. And, and man, that has made a huge difference in my life. Words have the power of death or life, but let's talk about where that actually comes from. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1 where God is creating the world. And I want you to notice that God, when He's creating the world, He doesn't pull out a toolbox. Instead, He creates the world with His words, right? Verse 3 says, And God what, church? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Notice, with His words, God creates the world. With His word, God brought light and life into the world. You see, God used words to create and to build up. When He speaks, the lights come on. But then we see something different. Different choice of words just two chapters later, right? 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice Satan uses words as well, but with his words he destroys and he confuses. What's really interesting about this passage is that the serpent, our spiritual enemy, actually tells a lie. Right? God didn't say that they couldn't eat from any tree in the garden, just, just one. And, and so he lies, and, and oftentimes he lies to us, right? He, he tells us things that aren't true about ourselves and about others and about God. And even though those words aren't true, we would all agree that those words are so powerful. And what I mean by that is those words affect us. With false words, the evil one tears down and he divides. With false words, the lights go out and he brings darkness and death. And so from the very beginnings, we, we see that word has power, the, the power to bring about life, Genesis chapter 1, but it also has the power to bring about death, Genesis chapter 3. God speaks and He creates and He builds up and He blesses, but our spiritual enemy speaks and He lies and He deceives and He destroys. Then we get into the New Testament, right? And, and we get into the Gospel of John and, and John is trying to introduce us to who Jesus is. And if you look at chapter 1, you'll notice he doesn't refer to him as the Messiah. He refers to him as the what, church? The Word. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice in John chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as the Word that came to bring light, as you keep reading, into darkness. And that's exactly what we see, right? In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines, talking about Jesus in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And, and so throughout Jesus' ministry, we, we see Jesus being this light, constantly using words to speak the kingdom of heaven into this world. He used words to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free. He used words to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? He didn't even go into the tomb. He just shouted the words, Lazarus, come out of there. In other words... Jesus used words as a tool 
to bring life where there was death. To bring light where there was darkness. To bring peace where there was chaos. Last Sunday, little Decker Dayton came out of Kingdom Kids and I asked him, I said, what did you learn today? And he was telling me the story about Jesus being on the boat with his disciples and a storm came up and I loved how Decker <laughs> described the disciples. He said they were freaking out. <laughs> so fun to hear little kids say that. But he said they were, they were freaking out and and, and then he said, Jesus woke up. And, and right, you guys know the rest of the story. He stood up on the bow of the boat and with his words, he said, peace, be still in the middle of this storm. And there was peace. Everything went calm. With his words, he brought peace. Even in the storm, and, and here's the deal, we are made in the image of God. Listen, our words are, much, are a much more powerful tool than most of us realize. They have the power to leave a permanent tattoo on the soul. They have the remarkable power of life and death to either build up or tear down, to create or to, to destroy. And, and so what I want to say to you this morning is that we've got to be more intentional with our words. And I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, this is what Solomon writes. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. In other words, what Solomon is saying here is the right words at the right time is like giving someone a beautiful gift. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you some words that could truly be a gift to someone else to, to help bring life. Four types of communication that will be life-giving really to every relationship, whether it's the relationship with our spouse or the relationship with our kids or the relationship that we have with our friends or, or, our, or our co-workers. And, and so here are four life-giving types of communication. First of all, affirmation. Another word for that would be encouragement. you know that everything that comes out of our mouth either builds up or tears down. There's no neutral words. That's why Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. A couple of years ago, Eddie Hearn gave me a card, and on it, 
it gave three filters that we should put our words through before we ever speak them. We should ask ourselves, is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? And I would add to that, are we building people up? Is what we're about to say really helpful? Listen, we need to tell people, the people that we work alongside, we, we need to tell them, man, you, you did a great job on that. You handled that situation really, really well. We need to tell our wives, husband, man, I love you so much. You mean so much to me. I'm so thankful God put, put you in my life. And, and, and wives, you, you need to tell your husband, I'm, I'm proud of you and, and I'm grateful for you. And I I just want you to know how much I respect you. And, and we need to tell our kids, I'm so proud of you. I, I want you to know how special you are to me. I'm telling you, when we speak life-giving words like that, it's amazing their power in our relationships. Marianne Bird, and I've shared this with you before, writes in her book, The Whisper Test, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates would ask, what happened to your lip? I told them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade who we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard had given the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn I knew from years past that we would stand against the door, cover one ear, while the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, do you have new shoes? And so I waited there for those words that God must have put in her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered in front of the whole class, I wish you were my little girl. Just seven words. And listen, even three or four words can change a life. It can make a huge difference in the lives of others. Maybe it's a child that never hears, I love you at home. Or you're special at home. Or, or maybe it's a teenager who's picked on at school and, and they're, they're told that their image, you know, doesn't measure up or that they're a loser. Or maybe it's a spouse who takes verbal abuse. Whatever the case may be, we all need to hear words from time to time that, that build us up, that encourage us and, and keep us going. 
But then secondly, we also need affection. That's what we receive from God, isn't it? I think about Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, where God says, I love, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that awesome to think about? Listen, even if your family doesn't love you, even if those friends who you thought were your friends, but they turned out to not really be very friendly at all, don't really love you. You have the love of God. And I love what Paul says about that love in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. He says there is nothing that can separate us from that love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's the thing, God tells us this over and over and over again. In His Word. And we need to tell others that we love them as well. My dad has often shared with me that throughout the years growing up, he can count on one hand the times that his dad told him that he loved him. My dad said, you know, I, I knew my dad loved me. But he said, during that day and time, you just, you just didn't say it. And so he made a point with us kids to tell us every day. And that's one of the things that we do in our family now. I, I try and do that with my kids as well because we, we need to hear that. We need to hear someone say... I love you. I told you guys I was blessed to have an amazing wife. I get notes like this all the time at my desk at work. I don't even know when she puts them on there. Just sticky notes from my wife just telling me how much I love you. When I get up on Sunday mornings, we have something kind of like a, a sticky note in our, our bathroom that says, I love you more. And every Sunday morning when I get up, that sticky note is sitting on top of my, well, deodorant, toothpaste, all that <laughs> kind of stuff but just reminding me how much she loves me. And, and man, I need that, and, and others need that, and we need to share that with others. But then here's number three. Listen, guys, hear me out this morning. I, I'm going to give you the four most romantic words 
that you could say to your wife. Okay, so you may want to take out a piece of paper and you may want to write this down. Just four words and here they are. And then what happened? Really? And, and, and then what happened? You, you see, let me tell you something. Your wife will absolutely pass out. I'm, I'm telling you guys, if you volunteer, you ask for more information than they were actually going to share with you. Because you see, sometimes the most life-giving words aren't the words that we say, but the words that we don't say. It's the gift of listening. And our spouse isn't the only one who needs that. Our, our kids need that. There are others with, within the church or there are others that we work with. We, we need someone who will listen to us. I love what Proverbs chapter 28 or Proverbs 17, verse 28 says, Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. Don't you love the Bible? With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> right? You can impress your wife. You can impress others, men, just by not saying anything. You seem more intelligent than you really are. I think about James chapter 1 verse 19 where James says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now let's say the underlying portion together on the count of three, okay? One, two, three. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't forget that. Don't disregard that. How many of you have ever come home at the end of the day and honestly you're just listened out? I have those days too. But one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that in order for Julie and I to connect, in order for our, well, Julie and I and the kids to connect, there, there had to be some communication, right? And so even though at times I'm all listened out, one of the first things that Julie and I will do when I come home at lunch is, is we'll just start talking about our day. And it may take 15 minutes, it may take an hour. It just depends on what kind of day that is. Well, we just spend some time talking. And, and also at night we make sure that we have dinner. We, we sit down at the dinner table without the TV and cell phones and, and all that and we, we sit around the dinner table with our kids and, and we just talk and it's not anything big usually. It's just catching up, right? It's, it's just listening to each other and sharing with each other and, and through that we connect. Really, we share our love for each other. 
Take some time just to listen. And some of you say, well, Slate, that's great, but how do you have the hard conversations? Right? I mean, whether it's with your spouse or, or whether it's with your kids, you, you have to have some, some hard, some, some tough conversations at times. And, and so how do you do that with, without bringing death to the relationship? Well, here's number four. We speak the truth in love. We have to talk about what's wrong. We have to talk about what's broken. We have to talk about hurts and wounds in our relationships, but we don't need to say it in a way that intimidates or frightens or runs the other person down or, or damages the other person. We don't need to throw things or raise our voice or, or curse. I know oftentimes we, we kind of wear that as a badge. We, we kind of pride ourselves for just, I mean, absolutely letting people have it, right? In fact, I've heard people say, man, I just absolutely ripped them apart. You should have seen their face. I told them like it was, and, and we say it like it's a good thing, right? Right? And, and oftentimes we even back that up with, you know what, this is just who I am, man. I, I just absolutely tell people like it is. Let me share a verse with you, and I want you to just read this for yourself. Proverbs 29, verse 11. I've read this over and over again this week, and man, it's really convicted me. Think about your last fight with whoever. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was with your family on the way to worship. With Shula and I, we solved that problem a long time ago. We no longer ride together, so we don't have to worry about that. Some of you may want to consider that. But think about your, your last fight, think about your tone. Think about your body language. How loud did you speak? What low blows did you say? What verbal missiles did you launch? What buttons did you push? And let me get you, let me challenge you to think about this question. Have you ever really changed someone by saying those things? I've been in ministry for over 26 years, and I have never had one couple tell me, man, when I called her that name, when I told him where he could put it, the problem just went away. I mean, everything was just great after that. Because that's not how it works. Ephesians 4.15 Paul says when we speak, we should speak the truth in love. And maybe more importantly is what Paul says next. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. Speaking the truth in love is 
is like Christ. Right? And, and that's our, our goal is to become more like Christ. And, and it's amazing what we can say and, and how it's received when we do that, when we speak in love. I mean, so much of our communication, and I share this with our premarital couples, is, is our tone of voice. Again, our body language. And, and a loving tone can disarm some of the most volatile disagreements. It can de-escalate emotions. That's why when I'm meeting with a couple who's getting ready to get married, I always tell them, listen, conflict is inevitable. You guys are going to have some disagreements. And I always tell them, when you have a disagreement, use I statements instead of you statements. And some of you may be saying, well, well what, are, what are you statements? Well, you statements are you're lazy, you're a jerk, you're out of control. You really, really irritate me. I don't trust you. But you turn things around when you use I statements about your feelings, right? People, they can't argue about I statements. Honey, I feel hurt when you come home and you don't talk to me. I feel like I don't matter. I feel like I'm not valued. I'll never forget when Julie and I, we first got married, she was 19 years old. I had just turned 20 five days before our wedding. We were just kids. And I was in college, and I met some guys at college, and we started staying up late, playing computer games together. And Julie would go to bed while I would stay up late playing. And I'll never forget one night, Julie walks in, and this is all she said. She said, I feel really hurt that you'd rather stay up with your friends playing on the computer than going to bed with me. That's all she said. And she turned around and she walked off and that was the last time I ever stayed up with those guys playing video games. She didn't cause an argument. She didn't attack me in any way. She just expressed her feelings. This is, this is how I feel. And, and even though we may not agree what someone is saying, we, we still can't argue with someone's feelings, right? And so she said, I, I feel this way. All right, well, let me close with this. John 1.14. This is Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. And that's what we need to aspire to be like. I say what I say, but I say it in a loving way. Because I want to be like Christ. And I want to do things in love. I don't want to hurt anyone. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. And so Jesus would speak the truth, but He would season it with grace and love. And I hope that's helpful for you guys today. Don't, don't forget, don't disregard what God says here. 
Words have the power to bring life or death. Don't forget what Solomon wrote when he said, those who vent their anger, those who fly off the cuff, those who just speak their mind, he says they're fools. I didn't say it. That's God's Word. And so don't forget that. Don't disregard it. It's so simple to bring life. In fact, you can do it today as you're going home from worship today. Use life-giving words with your family. And I'm telling you something. You will bless them, but you will also be blessed as well. Let's pray. God, we just come before you this morning and we're just so grateful that we can be here in your presence, that you listen to us. Father, help us to listen to others. Help us to love others as you loved us. Father, we pray that you will help us to remember today's lesson, especially myself. That the words I speak are powerful. They have the power to bring life or they can bring about death. And so help us to use the words that we speak to always build up and to help. Help us to be careful with our tone. Help us to be careful with the words that we say. Help us to truly be a blessing to others and be a light to this world because we reflect your image. Father, if there's something we need to repent of, help us to do it. I know so oftentimes this is forgotten because we kind of look at our words as being something little. Not murdering anyone. We're not um, in our mind doing some big sin. But help us to remember that it is big. Because our words are powerful. And so, Father, we just lay this at your feet. We lay our lives at your feet. Help us, empower us through your Holy Spirit to be everything you want us to be, to reflect your image. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an invitation at this time, and if you need to respond for any reason, whether it's for prayers or something you need to repent of, or today if you want to put on Christ in baptism, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, your Savior, having all your sins completely washed away, some of the greatest words you could ever speak. If you need to respond, won't you come together? We